I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, we hope to meditate this morning on the story of David and Goliath. I'm sure a well-known story to many of you. We will not read quite the entire chapter, but I did find it hard to leave a lot out for the sake of time. So there are a few verses we'll leave out. I will refer to them briefly in the, in the sermon, but we'll read most of the chapter, and I'll, I'll indicate when we move to another verse. But we'll begin at verse 1 of 1 Samuel 17. This is page 330 on your pew, in your pew Bible. Hear now the word of God. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephestamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines, named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed six hundred shekels. And a shield-bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, Then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Then the text, the passage introduces David again. He was introduced in chapter 16. Now we'll move to verse uh, verse 16 of chapter 17. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, There was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? 
Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. And then Eliab uh, hears David and slanders his motives. And we will go to verse 31. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And then we will move to verse 40. After David tries on Saul's armor, it doesn't work. We read in verse 40, Then he took his staff in his hand. And he, that is David, chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog? That you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face face to the earth. 
So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sha'araim, even as far as Gath and and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. So far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask for a blessing on it. Father, we pray that you would bless your word, which we have just read. And as we hear it proclaimed and explained, Lord, we ask that you would apply it to our hearts. And we we pray that you would do so with power and might. And we would glory in you and in you alone. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Oh, beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the story of David and Goliath is a familiar story to many, if not maybe even all of you. It's an exciting story. It's an inspiring story. But I wonder how many of us recognize it as a gospel story. You see, it's, it's easy to miss that when we read the Old Testament sometimes, we, and, and especially this chapter, perhaps, we, we, we often want to put ourselves in David's shoes. We want to be like David. We want to be the hero that solves our Goliath problem. And don't get me wrong, there are lessons to learn from David in this passage, especially from his faith in God. But if all we learn from this passage is that we should be like David, you and I are going to 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 end up either deceiving ourselves or despairing at our failures. You see, you and I cannot solve our Goliath problem. The church cannot solve her Goliath problem. Or maybe you say, what are you talking about? What, What Goliath problem do we have? Well, our Goliath is that giant that is formed by our sinful flesh, the ungodly world, and ultimately the devil himself. And that Goliath congregation is just too big and too strong. You ever wonder why the Bible uses four entire verses in this passage near the beginning to describe Goliath? If I can put it into today's terms, it describes his enormous height of nine and a half feet. His impenetrable bronze armor weighing 125 pounds besides his helmet and leg armor. It describes his bronze javelin, his thick spear shaft, as thick as a, as a weaver's beam with an, with an iron spearhead wearing, weighing 15 to 16 pounds. And it makes note of his own shield bearer going before him. Why does the Bible tell us all this? Isn't it to show us just how big, how strong, and how impressive Goliath was? 
and is. You and I cannot defeat him. Pastors cannot defeat him. Elders and deacons cannot. Parents cannot. And dear young people and children, you can't do it either. But there is someone who can. God. God can and God will. That's the point of verse 47, isn't it? David is speaking to Goliath in verse 47 and he's telling him that the Lord is going to deliver Goliath into his hand and then he says this in verse 47. This is the point of the passage. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will deliver you, give you into our hands. So congregation, the real lesson, the foundational lesson in this chapter is not that we must solve our Goliath problem. The real lesson is this. God solves our Goliath problem. And he does it. He does it through his anointed king. Because that's who David is here. You see, we always have to read the the Bible in context, don't we? And if you think about what, what comes before chapter 17. Children, do you know what happens in 1 Samuel 16? Well, we're told there that Samuel, the prophet Samuel, in obedience to God, goes and anoints David to be Israel's new king instead of Saul. And so here in chapter 17, we see David as God's anointed king. And it's David as God's anointed king who kills Goliath. And congregation, that points us ultimately to the son of David, the greater than David, the king, God's anointed king, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is God's anointed king who solves, by through whom God solves our Goliath problem so that we would trust and follow him. 1 Samuel 17 is a gospel story. God was preparing the people for David and in preparing them for David, he was preparing them for the king that he would send. And so with God's help, we want to look at 1 Samuel 17 under the theme, God's solution to our Goliath problem. And first we will see the coming, his solution through the coming of his anointed king. Secondly, the commitment of his anointed king. And third, the triumph of his anointed king. So first, the coming. Children, you can imagine the scene before us. In the, in the first few verses of our chapter, we, we have the Philistines. Where, where do the Philistines live? They, they lived in a small area between Israel and, and the Mediterranean Sea, right? But here in our chapter, they're, they're trying to push inward, to take more territory from Israel. And so, so Saul and the, and the men of Israel, they, they come to meet them, and the two armies now are, are facing off. Uh, uh, the Philistines on one hill, and and, and the Israelites on another hill. There's a valley about a half mile wide, the Valley of Elah, between them and a little brook that runs through the middle of the valley. And so you can see these two armies encamped on these hills with this valley in between. And, and what's, what's happening? Look, you see someone, don't you? Someone coming from the Philistine camp. It's that giant Goliath, big, strong, and well-armed. And suddenly he, he stops and he shouts across the valley, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and and you the servants of Saul? 
Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. What was Goliath doing here, congregation? He was mocking Israel, wasn't he? He was, he was saying, as it were, uh, as this giant of a man stands there with his armor and his weapons and his shield bearer, Israel, you can't stop us. It was a desperate situation. Verse 11 says that when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed. Literally in the Hebrew, that, that word means they were shattered. Their hearts were, were shattered to pieces and greatly afraid. Not even Saul's promises of wealth, of his, of his daughter as a bride, of, his, of exemption from taxes the fa- from, by the father's house were enough to make someone, anyone, stand up to Goliath. It seemed hopeless with Israel. But it wasn't hopeless with Israel's God. Because in verses 12 through 30, David, God's anointed king, comes on the scene. Verse 12 begins with now David. At the time, David was just doing his work, taking care of his dad's sheep. His three oldest brothers, they were in the army there with with Saul. But David, being the youngest in the family, he wasn't there. And and one day, his dad tells him to go to the the army camp with some food for his brothers and, and for their captain. And David obeys. And the middle of verse 20 says that David came to the camp. He comes. God's anointed king comes as God's solution to his people's Goliath problem. And he comes, notice two things about how he comes. He comes, first of all, in God's sovereign grace. The fact is that God would have been just to just have let Saul and Israel fend for themselves. Because if you read the the first chapters of 1 Samuel, you, you learn that Their wanting a king in the first place to be like all the other nations was a sign of the rejection of God. God God says that. He tells Samuel that. They're rejecting me. And, And even then, the king that they eventually get, Saul himself had rejected God on multiple times, multiple occasions. He had he had disobeyed him, he had rebelled against his commandments. And so God would have been just to to just have left Israel alone and let the Philistines have Adam. And at first, that's what it seemed like he was going to do. Did you notice? Did you notice verse 16? It tells us that Goliath didn't just defy Israel once, but twice a day for 40 days. That's a long time. You know what the sad thing is? The sad thing is that not once do we hear Saul or the men of Israel crying out to God. Not once do we hear them humbling themselves before him, seeking his face. We don't hear them praying or singing words like the ones we just sang in Psalter 2.16, verse 3. Help us, God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. For your name's sake, come and save us. Take away our sin and shame. We don't hear that. And yet, right at the end of those 40 days, David comes to the camp. 
What is that congregation? It's grace. It's God's sovereign grace. Even the number 40 uh, is, points to that. Because in the Bible, 40 days or, or 40 years are often times of God's judgment and his discipline. You can think of the flood, how it rained for 40 days and, and 40 nights. Or you can think of another time when Israel was being uh, 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 persecuted, afflicted by the Philistines in the, in the time of the judges. For 40 years, they, were, they, they served the Philistines. But often in, in, in these times, it ends with God's gracious and sovereign intervention. The, Philistines serving the, Philist, the Israelites serving the Philistines for 40 years in the book of Judges ended with God raising up Samson to deliver them. And that's what's happening here. David's coming to the camp at the end of 40 days and right at the time of day when Goliath comes out is what? Is God's grace to his sinful people. God's anointed king comes in God's sovereign grace. That was true of David, but how much more that is true of Christ. Because Christ came to this world, why? Not because we were seeking God. Because God was seeking us. He came, Christ came to seek and to save sinners from their willing enslavement to sin and to Satan. He came to save people who by nature, like the Israelites, are proud and prayerless. Christ Jesus, God's anointed King, came to this earth and he comes in his word to you even this morning in God's sovereign grace. Do you treasure that? Do you respond to that with faith in him? But he also comes with God's almighty power. You see, when David came to the army camp, he came equipped, not just with food, provisions. He came equipped with the almighty, empowering Spirit of God. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13 tells us that after David was anointed by Samuel, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him from that day forward. Verse 14 says that the same Spirit departed from Saul. And that's why, you see, Saul couldn't face Goliath. He didn't have the empowering Spirit of God. And without the Spirit of God, Goliath was too much for him. He had nothing. But David had the Spirit. His life, David's life, and his identity was attached to God. And it is that Spirit of God that was upon David that moved him to respond to Goliath's defiance with the proper perspective in verse 26. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? It was the Spirit of God upon David that made David stand when everyone else was fleeing. It was the Spirit of God upon David that made David stay when his oldest brother Eliab slandered his motives. Nothing dissuaded or discouraged David. Nothing made him turn around and go home because he was equipped with the Spirit of the Lord. He came with God's almighty power. And so did Christ. Because Christ himself, well, he's not only the son of God, of course, almighty in himself, but, but he was equipped with the spirit of God too, wasn't he? 
At his baptism, the Spirit of God came upon him to equip him, to strengthen him in, his, in his, the weakness of his human nature to, to be God's solution to our Goliath problem. Oh, how encouraging that is, isn't it? When we feel so weak in ourselves. When we, see, when we really see the sins in our hearts, the evil of our hearts, how mighty they seem. We sing of that in Psalter 362, don't we? Sin and evil, mighty they seem. And how powerless we are to save ourselves. But because Christ has come with God's almighty power, then you may be the worst sinner here, or you may be the weakest saint. And you can know that he is able to save you. That he is able to sanctify you. That he is able to renew you. To restore you, to revive you, to preserve you. He is able to to revive his church in Canada and to sustain her and to preserve her in the midst of persecution should that come in an increasing way. Yes, he is able to deliver you and he is able to deliver his church and he will one day, once and for all because he has come with God's almighty power. Oh, don't you just love those, those first two words of verse 12? Now David, David came. God's anointed king has come. That's the solution we need, isn't it? But maybe you're thinking, is it, really, is it really that easy? I mean, yes, Christ came as God's solution to our Goliath problem, but is he willing? Is he willing to be that solution? Well, this brings us to our second point, the commitment of God's anointed king. And here we want to look at, especially at verses 31 to 47. And children, this is, this is where the story really begins to get exciting. Because verse 31 tells us that as David was asking, well, what's going to be done for the man who, 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 who kills this giant? So some of the soldiers hear him and they report his words to Saul. And Saul then summons David to him. And in, in verse 32, we, we read of David's commitment. David says to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Did you hear it? There it is. I, David, your servant Saul, will go and fight with this Philistine. God's anointed king doesn't just come. He is committed to be God's solution. And what a commitment it is, isn't it? It is, it is a reassuring commitment. The soldiers, you remember, were, were terrified. But David, notice how David loads his commitment with reassurance. Let no man's heart fail because of him. David is saying, as it were, to the people, don't be afraid anymore. I've got this. You don't need to be dismayed any longer. You don't need to run away anymore. Because I've come. And I'm committed to fighting this Goliath for you. In your place. David's commitment is so reassuring. And it is so unshakable. Saul says to David, you're, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Well, what does David do, children, when he hears Saul saying those words? Does he say, oh, maybe you're right, Saul. Does, he, does David waver? Does, does he hesitate? No, he doesn't, does he? His, his commitment is unshakable. He tells Saul how as a shepherd he has killed both lions and bears. 
and, and when they tried to steal a lamb. And then he says this in verse 36, Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. And then he continues in verse 37, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Do you see David's unshakable commitment? He's not changing his mind. And Saul finally gets, gets it, and he says, Go, and the Lord be with you. He offers his armor, and David tries it on, but even when Saul's armor doesn't work for David, David doesn't waver. He doesn't change his mind. His commitment is unshakable. But it's also so God-honoring. Children, what do you think? What do you think was, was burning in David's heart as he, as he went down into that brook in the middle of the valley and he picked up five smooth stones? What was burning in his heart? Was, was it a sense of his own greatness? No, it wasn't, was it? It was a sense of God's greatness. David was consumed, you see, with a zeal for God's honor. You see, he, he knew that God had entered into a covenant relationship with Israel. And so Goliath, when, when he defied and shamed and reproached Israel and scorned Israel, he was, he was defying and, and scorning Israel's God. And David couldn't stand that. But, but more importantly, he knew that God wouldn't stand that. And so that's why when Goliath scorns him and, and curses him by his gods and, and threatens to give his flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, David answers with these powerful words in verses 45 to 47. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a, and a, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know what? That I am so great? No, he, they shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Congregation, this has got to be one of the most glorious speeches in the whole Bible. And it's also got to be one of the most God-honoring. David doesn't say he's going to defeat Goliath because of his great skill or even because of his great faith. He's going to defeat Goliath because of his great God. David's commitment is reassuring, unshakable, and God-honoring. But now what's the point, congregation? Is it rah-rah, let's go be like David? Is it? Is, is the point even to make us pray, Lord, make me like David, or, or even send me a David? Is, is that the point? No, congregation. You see, we already have a David. His name is Jesus the great son of David. And he is God's anointed king. And he has been committed from all eternity to save his people. To save them from what? From sin, from the world, and from Satan. 
And this commitment, congregation, his commitment is far more reassuring, far more unshakable, and far more God-honoring than even David's, and certainly far more than yours and mine's. Because this King Jesus is God himself. He is the Son of God. The point of this passage is not be like David. The point of this passage is this, trust and follow the David you already have. Trust and follow Jesus Christ. I'm not saying here that we can't learn from David's example, from David's faith. Of course, we can learn from him. We could have a sermon on that, perhaps many sermons. We we should grow in our faith in God, shouldn't we? By remembering what he has done for us in the past, we we should be committed like David was to fighting against sin. We we should be consumed with God's honor. That's all true. But the problem is that we all fail and we all fall short. But when that happens, oh, then how reassuring Jesus' commitment is to people like you and like me. Remember his reassuring words in John 14, verse 1. He he says almost the same, same words, the first part of David's words. He's speaking here to his sad, his confused disciples and disciples even whom he knew would soon scatter and leave him alone to face the enemy that very night. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus' commitment is so reassuring. And it's so unshakable. Jesus never wavered from his commitment, did he? You you see that, don't you, in his response to Satan's temptations in the wilderness? You see it when he sets his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem, even though he knew, he knew it would cost him immense suffering and death. You hear it when he rebukes Simon Peter for trying to prevent him from going. You hear it. You hear it when he declares, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see it as he endures the scourges ripping open his back. And you see it as he hangs on the cross, especially in those three hours of darkness when he was forsaken by his Father. Jesus never hesitated. Christ's commitment to be God's solution to our Goliath problem was and remains unshakable. And it is, it is God-honoring as well because Jesus' commitment to save his people, it, what is that? It's, it's the fulfillment, is it not, of God's promise already given in Genesis 3.15 to put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent and to crush, to bruise Satan's head. He was not doing, he came not to do his own will, but to do his Father's will. You hear that even in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prays there, sweating great drops of blood, not my will, Father, but yours. And it is because he has come to do the Father's will that he can, enable, that he can say so confidently in, in John 6, for example, all that the Father gives to me will Come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. 
For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose none, nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, he continues, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him, speaking of Jesus Christ himself, may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Because it's in fulfillment of God's will. Congregation, doesn't that enable you to sing with Martin Luther? Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Just ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, Lord of hosts, his name. From age to age the same, and he must win the battle. Oh, won't, won't we all then trust and follow this King, this Jesus Christ? Or will you still hold back? Surely not. Seeing not only the coming and the commitment of his anointed king, but thirdly and lastly also his triumph. Well, children, this is the moment you've been waiting for, isn't it? Who's going to win? David or Goliath? There in the valley is Goliath. He's big, he's strong, he's experienced, he's well-armed. And there's David. He's small, relatively weak, inexperienced, unarmed except for his sling, and they're approaching each other. David, David, you have to love this detail in the text. David's even running toward him. And now as he runs toward him, he pulls a stone out of his bag, and he puts it in his sling, and, and he begins to swing that sling around. And, and, and finally he lets, he lets the rock go, and the stone flies out of the, out, of the, out of the sling, and it hurls toward Goliath, and it hits him right in the forehead. And it's going so fast that it, it even sinks right down into it. And now, David, you, or now Goliath, you see him falling down on face first on the ground. David is now is running up to him. And he finishes him off, doesn't he? He, he pulls out Goliath's sword and he, he cuts off Goliath's head and he kills him. God's anointed king doesn't only come as God's solution. He is not only committed to be God's solution. He really is God's solution to Israel's and to our Goliath's problem. He has triumphed over the enemy. And what a decisive triumph it is. Isn't that the message of the details in this text? Every detail, the stone striking and sinking into Goliath's forehead, his his falling to the earth and his being killed by David's cutting off his head with Goliath's own sword is shouting, David has triumphed. It's game over for the Philistines. Verse 51 says that when the Philistines saw that Goliath was dead, they fled. David's triumph is so decisive. And beloved congregation, Christ's triumph over sin and over Satan and over the world is far more decisive. Christ himself declared that by his death on the cross, the ruler of this world would be cast out. Colossians 2 verse 14 says that Christ by his death on the cross not only took away the handwriting of requirements that was against us, he not only took away the curse that we deserve, his people deserved because of their sin, but he also spoiled, he disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of all that opposed him, triumphing over them 
by his death and resurrection. Christ, God's anointed king, you see, has triumphed, has crushed Satan's head by his death and resurrection. Oh, what a comfort this is, dear congregation, dear children of God here this morning. Because you may be here this morning and you may feel at times like evil and opposition to God and to his people are winning. Satan is still active. We still have remaining sin. The world hates us and will persecute us. But Christ, remember, Christ has delivered the mortal blow to all of them. Satan's doom is sure. Full liberation for the people of God is sure. Because the triumph of God's anointed king is so decisive. But how important it is then to be on his side. Can you say that about yourself? Or are you on Goliath's side? Or maybe you say, how do I know whose side I'm on? You know by what you're doing with God's anointed king. What are you doing with Jesus Christ? You see, those who are on his side are those who trust in him for all their salvation. And those who trust in him for all their salvation also follow him. Because his triumph is, is not only decisive, but it's also mobilizing. Did you notice what happens after David cuts off Goliath's head? The Philistines flee, and, and the men of Israel and Judah, they, they rise up and shout. And they pursue the Philistines, killing them all along the road. His triumph is mobilizing. You think about earlier in the chapter when there was another time that the Israelites were shouting. It was right when David came to the camp. But it's interesting and, and somewhat ironic if you look at the difference. When he comes to the camp, they, Goliath comes out and what happens? They turn tail and run the other way, don't they? Because they're terrified. But, but when, 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 when David kills Goliath, it changes everything. It changes the Israelite soldiers from shouting and fleeing to shouting and fighting. It moves the Israelite soldiers from a paralyzing fear to an active pursuit. And congregation, this is what Christ's triumph does for his people too. It mobilizes us. It moves us to action. No, we're not called to defeat our Goliath. Praise God. Christ has done that for us. But that doesn't leave you and me passive. No, it calls us and it enables us and it mobilizes us to fight, to go and to fight and to put to death the sin that remains in our lives. That's a lifelong battle. But it's a battle worth fighting because you see the victory, the, the, the victory, the triumph is so decisive. It's guaranteed in Christ, in his glorious person and work, in his triumph over sin and Satan. So again, I ask, whose side are you on? Congregation, that's the most important question in life. 
You see, there's one more detail I want to mention. David brought Goliath's head to Jerusalem. Why did he do that? Well, because Jerusalem at this time was, had not been conquered by Israel. David will conquer it later. Right now, there were, there, there were some Israelites living there, but in compromise, in a sense, with the pagan Jebusites. And so he's bringing Goliath's head to Jerusalem was a warning, you see. It was meant as a warning that no one can oppose God's anointed king and win. The message was to submit. The call was to repent and to submit. And that warning is, that call is for us today too, for everyone who has not bowed the knee to King Jesus. You know, the Jebusites, the people in Jerusalem, they didn't listen. We read that they even mocked David when he came. But David conquered. David conquered. God's anointed king always wins. But what an encouragement. I want to end with an encouragement even in this gruesome picture of Goliath's severed head because it tells you, beloved, it tells you that there is nothing in your heart and life that God's anointed king cannot handle. So bring it all to him. Bring your stubborn unbelief. Bring your prayerlessness. Bring your pride. Bring your worldliness. Bring your present sins. Bring your past sins. Bring your persistent sins. Bring your repeated sins. Bring it all to Him. Bring your hard heart to Him. Bring your strong temptation to Him. Bring that spiritual assault by Satan to Him. Bring it all to Him. To Him who by His coming, by His death and resurrection, destroyed the works of the devil. Who triumphed over the enemy. And who is and forever will be God's solution to our Goliath problem. He will give you the victory because the battle is his. But do you see, congregation, do you see, children, the lesson in this wonderful passage, the story of David and Goliath? It's not teaching us, first of all, to be like David. It's teaching us to trust in and follow the, the son of David, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is God's anointed king. He is the one God has given and offers to solve our Goliath problem. He is the one through whom God gives victory over sin, over the world, and over Satan. And he has promised that one day he will crush Satan under our feet, fully and finally. So let's rise up and let's fight our battles this week. Fight against sin, doing so with a shout and a song of praise to God the giver of victory. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and merciful God, we marvel at your kindness to sinners, sinners who by nature do not seek you. And we marvel then at your kindness to us. 
that you sent your son, that he was anointed to be the savior, to be the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and to gather even rebels into his kingdom. By grace, through faith, O oh Lord, we pray that you would apply this word to our hearts and lives, that you would make us joyful in you, looking to you, depending on you, not on ourselves, but looking away from ourselves to our almighty, gracious King, Jesus Christ, your dear Son. Lord, we pray for those whose hearts are being guarded even now by Satan, by the strong man. We pray that you would come as a stronger than he, that you would cast him out, disarm him fully and completely, and come and dwell in every single heart here by your Spirit. And help us this week, O oh Lord, to fight our battles, to not grow lazy in the spiritual warfare, but to fight against sin. Oh Lord, we need you. We thank you that you, in you there is provision and there is the promise of full and final victory one day. So bless us now in the rest of this hour and in our fellowship together. May you be glorified among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us sing in closing from Psalter 121. 121, all the stanzas. <clears throat>